Anatoly Moskovin was a genius. His peers in the academic circles he traveled through knew of no one as smart or as educated as him. He mastered 13 languages. He knew all of Celtic history and folklore, and he was even the Russian scholar on burial rites and ceremonies. He was also considered a very odd man, but one truly didn't know how bizarre he was until he was arrested in 2011 for what police found inside his home. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of your favorite true crime podcast. Well, favorite true crime podcast hosted by an attorney. At, at least an attorney named Brad. Um, killing, missing, hidden. Thanks for tuning in this week. I mean, heck, thanks for supporting us every week. And not just us, all independent podcasters out there. It's it's tough trying to make enough noise with so many of these corporate back shows, so... You know, thanks for giving us little guys a chance. This week, for the first time in several weeks, we will not be talking about killer teenagers. Instead, we're going to take a listener request. Specifically from listener Misty, who has suggested more show topics than I can count. But we love knowing what y'all want to hear, so don't ever be bashful about what you want to hear. And thank you to Misty for this episode. Before we begin... Please be aware this case takes place in Russia, and my southern tongue doesn't wrap around the names too well, so forgive the butchering that may follow. Today we are discussing the unusual and criminal hobby of Anatoly Moshkovin. He was born September 1st, 1966 in Gorky, Russia, which is today known as Nitschnin Novgorod. I'm sure it's nothing close to that, but that's the Brad version of it anyway. It's actually the fifth largest city in Russia. He was a smart kid, um, though he had a bit of a peculiar interest in graveyards. Moskvin would spend much of his free time exploring local cemeteries, either with friends or by himself. He said he enjoyed the peace and stoic beauty of these memorials. However, he had a troubling or unusual experience when he was on one of his walks at the age of 13. A funeral procession march came through the cemetery he was visiting. It was for the burial of an 11-year-old little girl. The adults in the procession invited Moshkin over to kiss said girl. He refused, but he claims that the adults kind of practically forced him into the coffin to kiss this girl on the forehead. And once he did, the girl's mother placed a ring on his finger, a ring on her daughter's finger, and claimed the pair were now married. Now, we need to note here that the kissing of a dead body is a common tradition in many Russian funerals. Um, everything beyond the kissing that he tells here is a little bonkers. Oddly, Mushkovin said this was a useful experience as it led him to believe in magic somehow and that more was possible in the world than he previously believed. I can't really explain why he reached that conclusion. That's just what the man said. Mushkovin admitted to being deeply affected by this event and said it shaped his career. 
Uh, in my opinion, this is very, very reminiscent of what I got from sexual abusers I represented. They uh, kind of get locked into something that happened in their childhood. Typically, there would be some sort of sexual event that occurred at a young age, and that was forever, like, branded on their brain. And essentially, they become obsessed with trying to recreate this encounter. Again, that's just my experiences from the law side, and it, it seems kind of familiar, um, especially as we get more and more into the story. But back to the story. Even though this event affected him and would apparently cause him to commit the crimes he would eventually be arrested for, it didn't really affect his book learning. He attended Moscow State University and quickly made a name for himself in academic circles after graduating and becoming a professor. His main areas of expertise were linguistics, Celtic history and folklore, and, of course, cemeteries and burial rituals. He was also a bit of a polygot, as he spoke 13 languages, and here I can barely do English. He wrote several books and published many papers during his career. His colleagues considered him to be a genius, though they recognized he was rather eccentric. During the reign of the Soviet Union, he served as a translator for military intelligence in the Red Army. I personally can't believe they would let just anyone into that position, so I assume he went through some sort of background checks, interviews, and testing to see if he was trustworthy, but I'm speculating there. Due to his love of graveyards and his extensive knowledge of them, a fellow academic and publisher... Oleg Rybyov commissioned Moskvin to summarize and list the dead in more than 700 cemeteries across the Nizhny Novgorod region for a book that Rybyov intended to publish. Moskvin apparently worked his commission between 2005 and 2007, where he would travel on foot to 752 cemeteries. He survived in his travels by, at times, drinking water from puddles, sleeping in haystacks or abandoned farms, sometimes even in the cemeteries themselves. Remember the eccentric descriptor applied to him. Yeah, this is, uh, this is in part why. He was stopped multiple times by police who thought it was odd that there was this man tromping through cemeteries, but... Once he, you know, gave his academic credentials and explained his purpose for being there, they, they left him alone. Now, despite all this work that Mushkovin did, Rybyov never published his book. Though those who have seen kind of the draft of it described it as a very unique bit of research and have even used the term priceless. Moshkovin never left his parents' home and led a secluded life. He frankly enjoyed being alone and collected books. He had a library of over 60,000 books and documents. He also collected dolls. Yeah, dolls. Shockingly, he was never known to date and is purportedly a virgin. He also abstained from alcohol and smoking 
and pretty much anything that would bring a smile to someone's face. You know, he, he didn't want to deal with it. Graveyard's cool. Having fun, not so cool. All right, so I think I've laid out that, you know, Mushkovin was a bit of an odd slice of cheese. You know, like Swiss cheese without the holes in it. But this is a true crime podcast, right? So what did he do to earn the distinction of getting an entire episode dedicated to his weird interests? Well, roundabouts 2009, police began receiving reports of grave desecrations occurring in multiple cemeteries around Nishnev Novgorod. Have I said that consistently at all? Probably not. Um, they slowly began to beef up patrols around the graveyards and try, you know, tried to keep an eye on them. But for two years, they found no evidence who was engaging in these acts. A break came in the case following, of all things, a terrorist attack at the Domodedovo Airport in Moscow in 2011. Investigators learned of several Muslim graves being desecrated following the attack. Specifically, what was happening is someone was going to the graves and painting over the pictures of dead Muslims that had been left, you know, in the tombstone, by the tombstone. But otherwise, the graves were not being damaged. Once police kind of got stumped after getting this lead, they decided, you know, well, let's go talk to Mushkovin. He's the expert on graveyards and whatnot. He may know something. So they make an unannounced visit to his house and happen to arrive the same time that Moskovin was arriving home. And he was carrying a big old bag when police got out of their car. They offered to help. He said no. They kind of insisted upon it. And guess what was in the bag? Well, if you guessed a dead body, a winner is you. And you know, this kind of caught the police's attention. Once they went inside his house... They discovered that he had 29 bodies from local graveyards. He had mummified them, for lack of a better term, and had started the process on some and completed the process on others of turning these dead bodies into dolls. Most of the identified bodies came from his region, which I'm not going to pronounce again. Though at least one body came all the way from Moscow, which was about six hours away. He transported a corpse from Moscow to his home just to turn it into a doll. To me, that's an uncomfortably long ride to share with a corpse. Now, as to the grave robbing issues that were being investigated, police were able to match Moshkovin's shoes to many of the footprints found at the cemeteries which had been hit and which were under investigation. Now, Moshkovin had apparently been engaging in this, let's call it a hobby, for just over 10 years without getting caught. His parents, whom you'll remember he lived with, were totally unaware of these activities, which seems ridiculous, but... When you look into it, they spent a lot of time traveling. They had a second home that they would go to. And so Moshkvin kind of shared this home with his parents in name only. When they would come home, they would see the dolls around his house. Maybe that's why they traveled so much. 
But his mom was later quoted in a newspaper saying she thought he just really enjoyed making dolls as a hobby. She didn't know the true story of what was going on here. When he was questioned by police, Moshkovin was totally cooperative. He said his goal was to attempt to bring the children back to life, either through science or black magic. Did I skip over that part? Yeah, the, the, the doll corpses, they were kids. Um, and almost all female. His motive originated apparently from his knowledge of Celtic burial rites and how it was common for ancient druids to sleep on graves in an effort to try to communicate with the spirit world. And this just also happened to be a practice of some ancient cultures in the Siberian region of Russia. So Moshkevin said he would read the obituaries every day to see if any children had been recently buried. If so, he would head out to the grave and sleep where they were buried to see if they wanted to be resurrected. He, if he believed to receive such a message, he'd dig up the child and take him or her with her to preserve the child as a doll. As he got older, though, he physically, you know, couldn't sleep on the graves any longer. So what he would do instead is just dig the girl up and bring the body home to share a bed with them to see if the child wanted to return to life. Now, in his defense, okay, it, this, this is coming from him. This is his defense. He insisted he, he would never, ever keep a child unless he was certain the child's spirit wanted to be brought back to the living world. So we can take comfort in that, right? Though most of the dolls were kept in his bedroom, usually seated on chairs or around his bed. Some were kind of just like haphazardly tossed into his garage. Apparently, Moskvin had grown to dislike these dolls. Which is interesting because, remember, he's on a mission to save these children. But then he decided that he doesn't like some of them. I don't know. He reportedly confessed to digging up 44 graves of children. All under the age of 13. The Russian media referred to him as the Lord of the Mummies. Not a bad nickname. Some detectives privately believe Moshkevin had dug up somewhere in line with 150 graves during his time of trying to wake the dead. Which seems possible if he was being sincere and saying he only kept the bodies that wanted to be with him. I never thought I'd make that sort of statement. He explained the doll-making procedure was used to ensure the children had a proper vessel whenever he unlocked this Frankensteinish secret to reanimation. Because the bodies would shrink after they were mummified, he would often stuff the dolls with rags or other soft materials, you know, so the bodies would remain comfortable in their new tomb. Um, but he would do a little bit more than that. Police discovered that some of the dolls actually contained music boxes inside. So if you picked them up or tried to move them, music would start playing from their chest. Some had pieces of their tombstone, included inside their little husk and at least one had a toe tag from the hospital shoved in there with the mummified corpse 
He made a wax mask for each doll and then decorated it with fingernail polish and put wigs on it so it would look more human. And he also dressed each doll in bright clothing. At least they were happy-looking monstrosities. Uh, police found his handbook for doll making that was very detailed. Very, very detailed. Um, some of the officers involved in the case admitted that some of the corpses really did look like giant dolls when Moshkovin was finished with them. Now, Moshkovin himself you know, admitted that he was well aware he was committing a crime by digging up corpses, but in his mind, he thought he was acting for the greater good if he could succeed in bringing the children back to life, right? He admitted part of his motivation was that he believed he would never have kids of his own, which he felt like was a tragedy, and so he wanted to enjoy the experience of being a father. So he treated the dolls as his own children, like in the way that he would celebrate birthdays, watch cartoons with them, even sing them lullabies at bedtime. I know what you're thinking, and I'm very, very relieved to report that there was no evidence that Moskovin engaged in any sort of inappropriate activity with these dolls. And to answer your second question that's probably in your mind, yes, the dolls did stink. However, this did not necessarily attract the attention of neighbors because most of the apartments and houses in this area had some sort of smell of rot coming from their basement. It sounds like such a lovely place to live in Russia, doesn't it? So Moshkovin was charged with desecrating graves and dead bodies, a crime that would carry up to five years in prison for each conviction. He was also charged with a more serious crime of defacing Muslim graves, which under Russian law is apparently a hate crime, but uh, these charges were eventually dropped. To no one's surprise, there were some questions about whether Moshkovin was, you know, mentally well, if he was all there. He was ordered by the judge to undergo a psychiatric evaluation which determined that he was suffering from a form of paranoid schizophrenia. During a hearing in May 2012, the trial court deemed Moshkovin unfit to stand trial, but he was ordered into the custody of a psychiatric facility wherein he would undergo what was described in all the papers I read as coercive medical measures until he could be considered no longer dangerous to society. Prosecutors apparently were satisfied with this decision and did not appeal it. So every year since 2013, Moshkovin has been reviewed by the court and by independent psychiatrists to see if he could be safely released back to the general population. Every year he's shown improvement, but not well enough to be released. He... For his part, Moshkovin really persistently seeks release, arguing that he wishes to resume his academic career. You know, he'll teach English, he'll stay away from all the Celtic folklore and graveyard stuff. Um, he says that his elderly mother is ill and is in need of his care. And he wants to begin his life with his new girlfriend. 
Yeah, um, he, he got a girlfriend while he was in jail waiting his trial, um, you know, kind of after he was known to be this corpse collector. The last review I could find occurred in November 2020, wherein the judge decided that he would be reevaluated in six months. However, I can't find any information that that hearing has yet occurred. Though we've just recently passed the six-month mark, right? Now, during one of his little annual reviews, Mushkevin was asked if he'd be willing to apologize to the parents of the girls he had taken. He refused to do so. And his reasoning for this was, look, those parents abandoned their daughters once they buried them. In fact, he accused the parents of neglecting their duty to take care of their daughters by just dumping them in the cold earth. Just the answer you want to hear if you're trying to decide if this dude is well enough to re-enter society, right? So that has had the effect of making the parents of the girls being not huge fans of seeing Moskvin released, and they tend to you know, attend these annual reviews to make sure the court knows that they're watching and they're not a big fan of him being released. One mother stated during the last hearing in November that she had to rebury her daughter in an unmarked grave just so she could know that the young girl would never be found by Moskvin. Another claimed that Moskvin would leave notes on her daughter's grave, recounting basically this imaginary life that she could have been living had she not been murdered by a neighbor. Uh, police actually found notes in Moshkevin's home corroborating the story. He apparently kept a journal on every child that he collected and created these exceptionally detailed, exceptionally imaginative stories of what they were doing in his twisted little head. You know, when they would start third grade, when they would start fourth grade, when they, you know, would would have their birthdays, the anniversary of when they came to live with him, all this nonsense. And the most chilling statement I could find from Moshkevin was apparently after he had been committed to the psychiatric facility and he was being interviewed, he told the doctors, and I think some police may have been present, that the police shouldn't bother reburying the girls. He planned on finding them again as soon as he was released. Yuck. So before we get into my thoughts, let me give this disclaimer kind of on the back end of the story. You know, I always post my show notes with the episode description, and you can always find my sources there. However... With this case, some of the accounts are wildly inconsistent. And I developed the opinion that the Russian media's coverage of this case in general just wasn't consistent. Even basic details such as how many dolls slash bodies were found in his house is kind of up for debate. So if you do research on your own on this case, just be prepared to experience the... Uh, conflicting information and have to wade through it. I've tried to present what I found to be the most consistent version of the story told throughout several sources, but I'm not making any warranties or guarantees that 
what I'm presenting is 100% solid as a rock truth here. It's just the best a goofy-looking guy in Alabama could do about a story based in Russia. Also, if you want to jump into this case, be prepared to see lots of weird pictures. The dolls are just creepy. Remember, they were wax masks that he decorated with fingernail polish. Now, I, I can see some of the dolls are well-made, okay? And I can see someone looking at it and say, Oh, okay, this dude likes building dolls. He's not great at it, but that's his hobby. Now, that's just for some of them. Others... Others are works in progress and are straight from the realm of nightmares. I hope you do not look at those, but if you go digging through pictures, you will see them. There is a mini documentary you can watch on this case called The Dollmaker. The only place I could find to watch it in the U.S. was with uh, Vimo, where it was $2 to rent, but I wasn't willing to pay that much. I didn't scour YouTube very hard to see if it was there. If you really want to find it, you may be able to snag it there. You know, if, if you want to watch it and give us a review, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I did find some other people's reviews that suggested I made a wise decision in not spending $2 on the documentary. All right, all right. So a little bit more focused on this case. I am of the belief, rightly or wrongly, but just from my experiences dealing with people, that... Madness and genius are two sides of the same coin. And our buddy Anatoly here, I think, supports my thinking. I mean, this guy, this guy, again, highly well respected when he was arrested. All of his colleagues in the academic circles were, their knee-jerk reaction was to defend him. You know, they were like, well, yeah, he's weird, but he's not that weird. They were wrong, but they they didn't think, you know, they, they wanted to support this guy who they viewed as a genius. Like, remember the 752 cemeteries he visited for a colleague's book? He didn't just visit the cemeteries. He took notes of every person who was buried there and every plot, and then went and researched every single one of those people so that he had this encyclopedia of the dead for his little region of the world. He was as thorough a hands-on researcher as you could imagine, and I could see where someone like him could add a lot to our collective knowledge of whatever subject he was interested in. And then the madness side of his work kind of peaks up when you hear that he's walking everywhere and drinking rainwater to survive. Plus that whole building dolls out of people thing, you know. Um, he had to be a weird dude to deal with in person, I, I imagine. We can't really classify Moshkovin as a serial killer since there's no evidence he ever killed anybody, but... Dang it, don't you want to put him in the same category? I mean, his brain seems to be thinking along the same ways as serial killers. I guess ironically funny to me that this dude's facing five years in prison, but essentially instead is going to spend the rest of his life in a psychiatric facility because I just can't imagine 
any judge having the chutzpah to let this dude back into society. Um, you know, a de facto life sentence is what he's walked away with. And, you know, I'm kind of totally fine with that. I, I think he really is messed up. He needs a lot of help. Uh, you know, again, he was listening for children to tell him whether or not they wanted to come back to life. He watched cartoons with corpses. He sang to them. He built these dolls to make sure that when he resurrected them, they could kind of look normalish. He always made sure to include eyes on the dolls, whether it be painted on eyes or, or buttons he sewed on. So that way they could see. And then he just has this trash pile of dolls that had lost his favor, which I, I wonder how he justifies that to himself. You know, he's trying to save these children, yet he just got sick and tired of some of them. And they're no longer worth being part of his little world. Um, you know, while the doctors may be right and Moshkovin may be improving under psychiatric care, the fact that he's willing to make statements like, oh, don't bother burying those girls, I'm going to find them again. And, you know, the parents are the bad guys here because they abandoned these children. He's, he's, he's far from prepared to be living in our world. He's still deep in his world, you know. To me, I think the best case scenario is this dude's going to live out his life in a psychiatric hospital. And maybe he can be given some limited contact with the academic world so he could continue, contri uh, continue contributing in a meaningful way, though not in the hands-on research that he liked to perform. You know, let, let, let him do internet research. Ultimately, this case is, you know, very creepy, very sickening. But I also find it kind of sad. I, I, don't, I don't know if we can blame that bizarre event in the graveyard when he was just a teenager. But it's clear that Moshkovin just never developed right. He had so much intelligence to offer the world. And it seems like he could have done some great things. But it just didn't work out. And now he's kind of set to waste away in a Russian hospital. But it's also the only solution that works, I think. It's, it's just sad to see how a serious mental illness can really destroy someone from the inside out. And we have to consider perhaps the darkest of possibilities. Should someone ever crack that secret to resurrection, imagine having a zombie apocalypse where you have to fight off Mushkovin's creations. Doesn't that just make you shudder to know that you'd have to fight off these handmade doll zombies? <sighs> Alright, well, I think this is the perfect time to move on to our palate cleanser. Here's what our grand curator of jokes, Mr. Eli, has for us this week. Did you hear about the kidnapping at school? No? Well, it's okay. He woke up. Well done, Eli. Well done, as always. Uh, with that, we're done with this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing our tales with your friends. Thank you to those of you who are our lovely Patreons. 
In fact, in fact, in fact, I neglected to give a shout out at the top of the show. Hope you're still listening. But thank you to Nina for joining us as our newest Patreon. We love you. We'll be sending you all sorts of love and good thoughts. And you'll get to listen to some really weird stuff that we record just for you guys. So thank you. And if you want to be like Nina, we would certainly appreciate it. Help support this fledgling, almost failing operation of a podcast. But we just like having you listen. That makes us happy too. Thank you who are to those who are awesome people and joined our Facebook group. Thank you to everyone that follows us on Instagram. Thank you to those of you who have found us on TikTok and don't hate it. I would rather have all of you as listeners than the finest people I know. We will be back next week, same bat time, same bat channel, with another listener request, actually. Until then, stay sweet, stay sassy. Brad out. Thank you for listening to Kellen Missing Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.